G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Louise, let me especially welcome you not only to our 2020 program today, but also a special welcome to Australia. That's wonderful, Neil, and I'm actually delighted to be here. I came last night, I had the sun shining And it's just great to be among friends already. And I must say, I'm absolutely delighted by your accent. It is wonderful and refreshing, and uh, it's just beautiful. So uh, I think our listeners will be uh, not only impressed to hear the way that you talk today, but uh, also the things that we are going to talk about. Let me ask you, first of all, as we get underway about the Alive to the World Character Education Program, because this is where you sort of came to prominence in one sense because you brought this program to the UK. What is the Alive to the World program? It was my springboard into the whole area of education. It's a character education program which was devised by someone called Christine Vollmer. She is the mother of seven children and was very active in the pro-life movement in Venezuela right back in the 1980s. She was approached in 1981 with the problem of young girls who were becoming pregnant and young boys walking the streets. And she realized that there was something in there much more than just becoming pregnant. These were youngsters who were yearning for the same things that are hardwired in all of us, the yearnings for love, the yearnings for esteem, the yearnings for happiness. And they were getting caught up in the wrong ways because they had never had transmitted to them the values of life which would bring them to what they desired inside. And so she thought, well, how do you educate young people? You don't tell them this is going to be a difficulty, this is going to be a problem. You start with what makes for success in life. And when you've got a picture of what is successful, then you can put back in the various steps to reach it. So that's where the character education came in. And your book that we're going to talk about today is called Sexuality Explained, A Guide for Parents and Children. And based on uh, those understandings from the Alive to the World uh, Character Education Program, you've decided that you can put into a very readable and enjoyable Mm. format that's going to empower parents uh, to actually be the primary educators of their children when it comes to sexuality. I've had a passion for getting parents to speak to their own children ever since I suppose I was a parent myself and I felt very strongly that this was an area for me And I found that the schools are taking over that responsibility, but in such a way that they don't, um, well, they find it difficult to reach individual children in the way that they should. I also realize that it's actually a very difficult topic to broach for all of us, not just for special people. All of us shy away from something which is so deep inside us. So I took from Alive to the World the idea of 
writing in stories because everybody finds a story very easy to engage in. And then I took as my springboard the biological facts of life and putting them together, I made 10 different conversations, which, sorry, which I think no, will help good. anybody. Uh, yeah. Louise, I want to invite our listeners to be participants in our conversation today. And so you might have some thoughts that you'd like to add to our conversation. Our number is one eight hundred eighty eight zero eighty seven six. Whose responsibility is it? to teach children about sexuality? Is it the school's responsibility? Is it the church's responsibility? Or is it the parent's responsibility? You might have some thoughts on either one of those or how the balance might actually work. You can call us and be a part of our conversation. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-880-876. That's 1-800-880-876. Let's talk some more about your book then, Louise. Uh, the stories that you use to engage children. And, of course, uh, you mentioned, too, uh, illustrations. So this makes it easy for everybody. Uh, but tell me about the stories that you might use uh, to start to engage uh, children. And I suppose that invites uh, all sorts of extra uh, uh, complexities and talking about age groups and things like that. And I guess we're talking about pre-adolescence, uh, round about that sort of, I guess, 9 to 12 age. Uh, I'll ask uh, your opinion on that. The age that's best to be talking about these things and then how you use those stories. Each individual is an individual and that's one reason why I think it's so important that the parents take part because the fact is the parents have to whether they like it or not because the children can pounce a question on them. So it's not always a question of policy, it's a question of fact. The child might say, Mummy, why is that girl having a baby and does she have a, a she's not married yet? Or she might say something quite different. Mummy, um, when I grow up, how am I going to have a baby? Something like that. Or it might be just a very practical little question about, you know, just the, the physical body. And mummy has to know what to say at that minute. Now, when they're very small, you normally will only answer in one sentence. But as they get bigger, there's going to be a moment when you have to explain more, particularly to a girl, just because of the facts of life. When you do it, it's up to each, each individual, but... It does help if you can get in there at particular points when you know that the child is growing up, that their friends are growing up, that they might be having a school class on the biology. There are various pointers as to when you're going to get in there. But there are also conversations that you can continue as they get older. You don't have to do it all at once. The level of sophistication by which you answer those questions, uh, if you start off with that one sentence yes. when they're young, I guess you don't have to panic too much when your children are that young because really too much information too young might actually be a detrimental thing. But, but if you do have a response that settles in the heart and mind of your child when they're young... I guess that becomes a foundation to build on for when those, you know, more sophisticated answers are necessary. You're absolutely right there. Very often when they're little, all they want is one sentence and then they'll go off to something else. Children are very good also at saying, I don't want to hear anything more now. That's enough. They'll actually say it in so many words. So the parents have to be very much attuned to what the child wants at any one time. 
But the fact is that there comes a time when they really do need to know the biology and they're going to get it from someone. I believe that if you give it yourself, you can give it in a very positive way and you can start with the beauty of fertility. You don't have to start with, if you like, the more difficult bits. You know, you're going to have a lot of blood if you're talking to a girl. It's not a very attractive way to begin. If you say, look, something very exciting is happening inside you, you've got inside you all the eggs that you could ever have to create, or got, I would say with God, to create those babies that you might have in the future. That's a beautiful picture, and you start with the fertility and not with the bits which are perhaps not as attractive. <laughs> we are talking with Louise Kirk. We're talking about Louise's book called Sexuality Explained, a guide for parents and children. And so uh, this a sometimes controversial topic to be discussing today. You can be a part of our conversation, and so you're invited to be a part of that. Our talkback line is open, 1-800-880-876. If you'd like to be a part of today's conversation, one 800 880-876. Let's take a call from Jared in Moree in New South Wales. Hello, Jared. Welcome to 2020. Uh, hi. Um, the, uh, the thing that I wanted to talk about was um, our church just recently had um, some seminars that were conducted by Patricia Werrickin. I don't know if you guys know her or if, um, if you've had... Yes, I'm familiar with Patricia. Patricia, uh, a sexologist yep, here right, in Australia right. and uh, comes from, I think, an Indian background. But yes, you had mm-hmm. a, a seminar with Patricia? Yeah, well, we had a, we had a few a couple of weekends ago and, uh, and one of the things that she was talking about was uh, the idea of parents being the primary educators um, in, in this area for their children um, and also about talking frankly about sex with kids um, I guess take away some of the mystery of it. Um, I'm, I'm not a parent myself. I'm, I'm going to be soon, um, and so it's something that I've been sort of thinking about, uh, thinking about recently how I'd how I'd be dealing with this issue in the in the future. Um, and I think one of the things um, that would probably be helpful, um, just in my mind, is um, being open and honest with kids so that um, they they're not looking to be. I guess expressing themselves sexually in an unhealthy way as a way of being grown up. Um, cause I think that's what, it, that's what it is. That's what a lot of sort of unhealthy behaviors that kids partake in. Um, you know, that they, they, they want to be grown up. They want to be, you know, they want to be drinking and smoking and doing drugs and these sorts of things because the crowd that they're in is, you know, like the, it's, it's a bit risque. It's a bit, you know, it's a, it's a bit edgy. It's a grown up kind of thing to do. Um, and it's the same with sex, I think, in, in engaging in that behaviour can often be an expression of that. Oh, I don't, I don't Jared, let's, let's hear uh, Louise's thoughts on the idea of openness and honesty because uh, for some parents, openness and honesty is something that they didn't experience from their parents and they find it particularly hard too. But uh, I think is, Jared's making a pretty good point there, isn't he? You're making an extremely good point and something that I think that all of us are extremely aware of. It seems to me that if you can give children a sense of wonder at their own bodies at a very early age, you catch them when they are, by nature, very pro-life. Because when you are talking to a child, they are closer to the baby than they are to the adult who is thinking in terms of sexual behavior themselves. If you talk to a younger child, I reckon that each one of them is thinking, wow, that was me. 
And so you catch them with the beauty of creation and the beauty of nature. And I think strongly for boys as well as for girls. So in my book, I take quite as much trouble with the boys as I do with the girls so that they understand how their own bodies form. Yeah. Uh, Jared, uh, let me just commend the way that you are thinking about these issues uh, so far in advance. Uh, I, I expect uh, you are going to be—you're a dad to be—is that what you'd call yourself? You're... Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. Well, uh, I hope you enjoyed the rest of our conversation today because uh, I think you'll remember some of these things that are shaping your thinking about how you'll be uh, communicating with your children in the years to come. Uh, Jared from Moree in New South Wales. Uh, thanks so much for being with us today on Twenty Twenty. Thank you for having me. Louise Kirk is our guest. She is the author of a book called Sexuality Explained, A Guide for Parents and Children. And uh, this is oftentimes a a, uh, controversial topic because whose responsibility is it to teach children about sexuality? Is it the school's responsibility? Is it the church's responsibility? Or are parents uh, the ones who are primarily responsible, you are invited to be a part of our conversation. one eight hundred eighty eight zero eighty seven six is our number. Louise, let me ask you about the book because you've designed your book so that it is appropriate for people, not putting boundaries or barriers there uh, by clouding that with a lot of religiosity because sometimes that can be a hindrance to people. Uh, there is certainly, though, that foundation from your own Christian experience that comes into the way you write. Thank you, Neil. It's a very good way of putting it because my own religious belief is central to everything that I do write, not only on for this book, for anything I write, because um, I believe that truth is there within my Christianity and if I try to write the truth, Christ is there with me. But in this particular book, I also thought it important that I should be writing for everyone. Now, there's truth in the way we are created, just as there is truth in the God above us, because God created us. And by taking out God as specifically referenced here, you don't only, it's not only that you can then produce a guide which anyone can use, which I think is important, but you can actually focus on language which your children and indeed the parents themselves can learn to talk in so that they can talk to anyone afterwards. You're giving them a language for everybody based on the biology. Now, when we talk about sexuality, uh, I'm interested in this because uh, your Christian foundations, where you say that the guide really starts uh, from the premise that all human life is of equal dignity and worth and worthy of the greatest respect. And so when we talk about the value of our lives in relation to God as creator, there is a sense, isn't there, that our sexuality and all that becomes so much more valuable. It's not just a throwaway experience. It Because of our uh, Christian foundations, uh, sexuality is so important. Again, if you don't have that basic sense of value, it is difficult to begin. So it is completely true that my book starts with the premise that all life is valuable. I don't go into explaining why it's valuable. I take it as a premise to start from. Uh, Another thing that uh, comes out in my little bit of pre-interview research Mm -hmm. uh, is the idea of lovemaking. It can't be described without acknowledging that it is giving life. 
uh, it's this uh, it's this beautiful uh, connection between sex and life, the value of life, therefore founded on the value of sex. Again, that's beautifully put. I think you ought to be in the chair instead of me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, a, another extra little bit here, which is there's something wonderfully beautiful about a parent who has already given life to that child, describing not the intimate detail, because I don't do that in my book at all. It doesn't go into, if you like, how the sexual act happens. It's left in mystery, which I think is very important for all of us, for the parents and for the child. They don't necessarily want the kind of detail of that sort. But the fact that the parent who gave life to the child did so as an act of love is a way of releasing the child from any fear of the future. And that is something that only the parent can give. And one reason why I think it's such an important task for the parent to do rather than just for somebody else. You mentioned it could have been done in the church or it could be done in the school. But church or school will not have that very special connection. Uh, tell me about the intimate connection between a parent and their child, because and if we were to break that down even more, between a mother and daughter, a father and a son, it's such an intimate connection that you can't uh, find an alternative for. Uh, you might have a fabulous pastor or a youth pastor in your church. You might have just the best teacher in the world, but there isn't any sort of replacement uh, for that beautiful intimacy that comes between a parent and a child. And I would put, put it the other way around too, the child and the parent, because it's actually the parent who gains from all of this, not just the child. They both gain. <sighs> I want to invite our listeners, be part of this conversation, call us and tell us your story. How did you tackle these types of issues with your uh, pre-adolescent or teenager. When you were talking about these types of issues, you can call us and be a part of our conversation, one eight hundred eighty eight zero eighty seven six. Or even as we heard from one listener just earlier, who is not even a father yet, but inspired to think about these issues and how he would eventually communicate these types of things to his own child, forming those foundations in the way that we feel about the value of life, the value of sexuality, and how you might like to be a part of our conversation. We would love to hear your story. Why don't you call us on one eight hundred eighty eight zero eighty seven six? Another issue with sexuality, while we're talking about this, uh, the idea that while sex may appear to be a fun, experimental, even rebellious uh, identity-building uh, exercise, uh, there is a sense, too, in which you like to bring out that while some people may think that, uh, they don't often consider the consequences of when those things go bad and it becomes a damaging issue in a life. So talk, talking to children about sexuality here, uh, one of those things that's, that's so intimately important because things can go dreadfully wrong. They can go very wrong and they can also be not that enjoyable. That's something else that comes out of young people's remarks. So often youngsters who have got involved in sexuality too soon will say, but I didn't even enjoy it and I've become pregnant, poor darlings. It is not a one-way ticket to happiness. I was very struck a long time ago, somebody called Dr. John Gooley in England, who was a GP, just sort of, sort of GP, or everybody ought to have, 
said that he commonly had in his practice young girls suffering from widow syndrome. Widow syndrome are the youngsters who have a broken relationship and they can suffer depression for about a year, the sort of thing that a widow might suffer because cementing a wrong relationship in a physical way can tear the person apart afterwards. Louise, you are a popular pro-life speaker and uh, there's an interesting dimension that we're bringing into this idea of pro-life because oftentimes when people think of pro-lifers, they're thinking of people who are holding up placards uh, outside abortion clinics and and uh, and making uh, protests and doing street marches and doing all sorts of uh, crazy stunts to draw attention to what seems to be you know a little bit weird and uh, and and uh, and and crazy but when you talk about sexuality the intimacy of a parent with their child that uh, brings the value of human life uh, this is a whole dimension that a lot of people don't think of pro-lifers as having this depth to the way that they like to talk about a pro-life issue. Uh, this does have a, an intimate connection, doesn't it? The value of life and being a pro-lifer, being anti-abortion, uh, starts with having a healthy understanding of sexuality. I couldn't agree more. A lot of my work is actually speaking in small groups, which I really enjoy. Um, when I wrote my book... It went through a great many uh, versions and I sat around the table with various other parents and they gave me my thought. They gave me their thoughts and helped me to form the book. I also spoke to various doctors to make sure that everything that I said was correct. So I've spoken to a lot of individuals and that's probably where a lot of uh, most of my work has happened. I've also address big meetings and and arrange them. So it's a, it's a mixture, but it's very much that kind of intimacy rather than putting out placards. It's Neil Johnson with you on this Tuesday edition of 2020, talking through the often controversial issue of sexuality and teaching children about sexuality. Our guest is Louise Kirk. She's the author of a book called Sexuality Explained, A Guide for Parents and Children. You can be a part of our conversation. one eight hundred eighty eight zero eighty seven six is our number. Louise, uh, I think we've been saving this up. Let's talk about some of the controversial aspects of uh, teaching children about sexuality. Uh, let's tackle uh, the issue of contraception and uh, what we as parents might understand about contraception, uh, what our children need to understand if they're able to face uh, head-on the issues that they're going to face as they move into adulthood. What do you teach children about contraception in your book called uh, Sexuality Explained? Neil, I've explained to you that I started with fertility, so the whole aspect of my book all the way through is looking at the beauty of fertility, at the beauty of creation. Right up at the end of the book, I do have a chapter on contraception because it's an important issue which every child needs to know today. If they don't know, they'll be fed sometimes some mistruths or just things which are not as up to date as they could be because there's a vast amount on the science that has moved forward which many parents will not be aware of. We now know that there are, if you like, mishaps, difficulties with any method of contraception which is out there. I don't want to terrify any child. That is not 
what I'm about. So I start with the truth of the body and show them all the way through the book. This is built up, you can imagine, over the 10 chapters, how the body works naturally without any interference of any other sort. So by the time you reach chapter 10, the child already has an idea that you don't need anything artificial to come in there in the way of regulating fertility. If you understand the body, you understand that actually a woman is infertile most of the time and that it is very easy nowadays to know the periods of fertility and the periods of infertility. I don't go into the details because they're children, but they know the scientific background. So from that, it's easy to build on the fact that contraception is just unnecessary. When we talk about contraception, obviously there are all sorts of different types of contraception and uh, one that gets perhaps more press than others when it comes to uh, teenagers and experimentation with sexuality uh, oftentimes is the condom. Uh, So when we talk about sexuality, uh, some of those conversations are going to be quite quite controversial and of course it depends on the background that you have, whether you're uh, even coming from a Catholic background or a Protestant background, uh, people's different ideas and how those sorts of things work. When it comes to other, uh, you know, more chemical forms of contraception, there are other uh, big issues to do with those that even some of those may be even harmful. Uh, But when it comes to uh, teaching children about the things that they are going to hear at school and getting a balance from what they'll hear at home, how do you broach that topic and uh, help children to find a balance in their own understanding of what contraception can do? I start by the history because many people think contraception is new. There's nothing new about it. Hippocrates actually described it. He described an IUD. Camels used to have IUDs stuffed into them when they crossed the desert in medieval times so that they didn't give birth while they obviously had no water. So I take the aura out of contraception because it doesn't need it. All the various methods have failure rates. There is no way of guaranteeing that you can actually control your body. And there is so much misinformation out there. So it's important to give the children the idea that there isn't actually any way where you can definitely control whether or not you will have a child so that they don't get hoodwinked into thinking they can use this or they can use that and then they're sort of safe. All of this leads on to saying this is something very special. It is something that is life-giving and love-making all in one. And once you've got that idea, then it's easier to realise that managing your fertility naturally is the best way to go. Is there a sense in which once you start talking about contraception, uh, there is a false sense of security Uh, that then leads to uh, the idea of promiscuity, that leads to the idea of uh, experimentation, which then ultimately can result in the unwanted pregnancies uh, or then the sexually transmitted infections. Uh, Those sorts of things begin with an understanding, don't they, of, of, of contraception? There is a tremendous amount of false information which leads to false security. If you think about it, Anyone trying to encourage children at school, for instance, in school sex education classes, to 
be responsible and to avoid having a baby by using contraception is not going to give, not going to be able to give the full truth of how the pill fails and how the condom fails, particularly for youngsters, because they are not good users for various reasons I can't go into now, but they have a much higher failure rate than an adult. But nobody can say to a child, use this, and at the same time, this is the truth of how it'll fail you. So they tend to use figures which would apply to an adult but not to a child and lead them to a false security. You can be part of our conversation, one eight hundred eighty eight zero eighty seven six. Let's take a call from Christine in Donald's in central Victoria. Hello, Christine. Welcome to twenty twenty. Yes, thank you. Christine, what's your uh, what's your contribution to our conversation yeah, today? I was just thinking then when um, Louise was discussing the condoms, so much in the, the education curriculum at school on the issue, mm-hmm. the message is, well, do it and wear a condom and then you're safe. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so many distorted messages put out there before, you know, the young adults and the children that they really don't have a choice. It's so much it is just directed towards, you know, having sex as no... That's the purpose of the whole objective with many of the sessions is that if you, you know, that's where it leads to, which is quite disappointing, really. And then some of the questions, because I teach um, 10, 11 year olds, I do puberty classes, and they'll ask questions like, you know, what's a good age to start having sex or what's oral sex? There's so much that they know already, and I think as parents, we really need to be responsible to teach them themselves and this develops an intimacy within our relationship then can move on to when they are in the dating courtship stage of their life and then into early marriage. But I think if we don't qualify for that sort of input later on in their life, if we don't grasp this issue with them now and yeah, discuss it and teach them our views on it. Christine, I'm thrilled that you are a teacher that teaches these things because you're clearly taking a deeper view on that. Let's hear from Louise about just how uh, perhaps off-track a lot of school sex education is and uh, the misinformation that comes. And if parents are not involved, uh, this is what their children are hearing. Thank you, Christine. Um, I love teachers, I may say, and I've talked to quite a lot of teachers on this as well. I mentioned parents earlier and I mentioned doctors. I should have added in teachers because I know a lot of you do a really good job. But it is difficult when children are hearing all sorts of things from other places, often just to try out the boundaries. And they may have various doubts inside, but they will be talking about these things in the sort of way that they really know. I think that there is no real alternative to the parents teaching and teaching very well in the home because then they can talk to that individual child in a way that that individual child can understand without putting fear in there. Mm. I think that the issue is fear is major and people don't look at it enough. I've met parents of friends of mine, sorry, parents, sorry, friends whose children, I should put it that way around, have had a sex education class at school. And you can see the parents' faces are, oh, George came back yesterday. He was really silent. He really found this difficult. It is wrong that children are being put through that sort of trauma. Mm. And I don't see that there's any way that you can know how children are reacting 
in a class of, say, 20, 30 children, nobody's going to know what's going on inside each of those children. So getting back to this issue of parents is so important. Christine, if I can ask you, as a school teacher and you teach these things, how much flexibility is there uh, for you to be able to teach a personal uh, appreciation of sexuality uh, in along with what the curriculum demands? Look, I'm not actually a teacher. I'm a community health nurse, so I get into the schools with the nursing hat. Yep. Um, look, it's really just the way you manipulate the question that the child asks you and your response. So there are, you know, you get good at answering it with the God aspect, <laughs> you know, in time without causing any offence. Like you don't, you know, they don't understand that it's Christian values that you're instilling, but there is just a quiet way that you can put that out there and it's not picked up by anyone and it's very interesting when you the word puzzles never have the word virgin or abstinence in it and many of the curriculums on being true those words are not even recognized so I always put those words into like redo the word puzzles and put those words in so there's different things like that you can do to put the message forward well, Christine, thank you so much for uh, for your open uh, thoughts and uh, for contributing to our conversation today. Really appreciate you being part of 2020. It's Neil with you on 2020. Louise Kirk is our guest. She is the UK coordinator for what's called the Alive to the World Character Education Program and the author of the book called Sexuality Explained, A Guide for Parents and Children. As the mother of four, Louise, I suspect uh, many of our listeners uh, who might be hanging on every word, and I suspect there would be some who'd be doing that, uh, we might be interested in some practical uh, how-tos when it comes to talking about sexuality issues with our children, with our pre-adolescence and even into our teenage years. And there are going to be some things that are going to colour us as individuals. Sometimes it's the fact that we've come from a relationship background that is, you know, is potholed with failures. And uh, when we do that, sometimes our confidence takes a hit. When you talk about the practical ways of talking to your children and pre-adolescents about sexuality issues, what are some good practical ways to get underway? You've flung so many things at me in that one, Neil. Um, Can I start with the practical things for any parent? And that the first practical thing is to make time for it. A lot of parents seem to run through life, or at least a lot of young people imagine parents running through life in such a way that they won't stop to give children that time on their own. I remember giving a a seminar, I suppose, to a whole lot of um, undergraduate teachers. And one of my chapters is on Josie cooking cakes with her mother and the teachers was these youngsters were putting their hands up saying but nobody bakes a cake anymore and I was thinking well perhaps they need to bake a cake you've got to be alone with your child doing something or other doesn't matter what it is perhaps just sitting in the car with them but in such a way that you're alone with them and can bring the topic up sometimes as we said earlier the child will pounce with a question but there will come a moment when you will know that it's time they need to know a little bit more i also say that you need to be in a position where you can get out pencil and paper if necessary because there'll be some diagrams and things that you'll want to to 
um, draw or perhaps a, a book to get out. Sorry, Neil, your second question was about those parents who perhaps have found it difficult to talk to their child because they're aware that their own relationships have broken down. They might be a single parent. I know, obviously, a lot of single parents, as everyone else does. I know that my book has helped that sort of person. I can think particularly of one of the um, fathers of a friend of my son's. They were both good chums at school. This father separated from the mother of the child and the mother put a barrier between the child seeing the father and then the mother died. And so the father was left bringing up this son with that difficulty in the background. And it is very easy for people to assume that when a child's parents have got a split, broken home, that somehow or other that child is going to think that it's right and that that's the way they need to live their lives, which has always seemed to me to be a bit peculiar because actually many people whose own lives have broken really want their child to be able to have a good marriage in the future. I can speak of my sister again. She's a single mother, longs for her children to be well married, and it can be difficult for them. In this particular instance, I was really thrilled because I was completely honest about my book. We were talking about it over the kitchen table. He wanted a copy, and his son came along, picked it up, riveted, and went away and read the whole thing. Sometimes when a parent finds it very difficult to talk on their own, having something in the way of a resource, which is done from the angle of a parent, so it doesn't feel like a cold education class over there, is given with the authority of the parent, but actually does the job for them, is very valuable. Louise, when we talk about making time for our children, how much time are we talking about? Are we talking about, it's not just the the half hour conversation that might come when you get to those, you know, as you say, modern parents don't bake much anymore, but it's not just the half hour while you're baking a cake. Uh, There's obviously an ongoing relationship that's necessary, but how much time do you need to devote to breaking the ice and getting into some of the intimate depth that you need to get into? I think that you need to be able to be alone with each of your children at some point on a regular basis anyway, if you can. And in that time, you can bring up anything at all, because that's when you discover what's going on in your child's life. In my own family, and I should say that I got three sons and one daughter, my my husband takes away one of our children every year on a three-day holiday somewhere or other. Um, he's actually about to go off to Istanbul with one of my sons. So he will use those few days to develop his conversation on all sorts of subjects, but including the sexual one. And and I was going to say that if you don't uh, highlight that we're going away to do a sexuality (laughs) discussion, if it's just one of the many things that you'll talk about, then you're actually bringing it into the normal day-to-day activity of life. We talked earlier about the small child having a right to ask questions of the parents. But you see, once you've opened up the conversation on sexuality in those early years, you as a parent are going to be there guiding your child through the teenage years and beyond and giving advice on when to go out, what the curfew is, if there is one, having a look at said child's boyfriend, girlfriend, And so you are becoming the guide, 
not just in the early years, but throughout. And opening a conversation early on is just so valuable. So I don't think there's a cut-off point. I think it's something that deepens a relationship. And some people say it's rather like recognising the adult in the child. It is a moment of release, which perhaps we don't have enough of in our culture. Let me ask you about honesty. And we mentioned, what about those relationships? You know, you might have gone through a bunch of failed relationships. You might even feel a complete lack of confidence in your ability to communicate to your child, your pre-adolescent, your teenager. Uh, Honesty when it comes to saying, I did these things wrong, but now I understand there is a different and a better way. Uh, How do you approach those sorts of issues? And I think, you know, you'd be talking to parents here about, uh, about being honest about your own background. And what do you shield from your children and what are you open about? My book starts from the biology and it also includes the sexual chemistry of the brain, which is an area of science that a lot of adults don't know about today and certainly they didn't know about when they were younger. We know so much more now about how we aren't designed to have, if you like, sexual experience. We're designed to become experienced in a great many other areas of life and then to do better because of that experience. But when it comes to sex, we're more like, if you like, a sticky plaster. We're designed to stick once and for that to hold. Now, a lot of us didn't realise that when we were younger. And I think that being able to say to a child, I made a mistake, I want you to do better, is a perfectly honest and a very good lesson for the child. But there's no harm also in getting friends or it might be a relation, it might be a grandparent, it might be an aunt, uncle, godparent, whatever, to come in and back you up. If you feel a little bit isolated, come on, let's bring other people in as well. And I think that that's an important aspect of the school. I said that this is something for parents to do, but I have in my mind the vision of schools encouraging parents, say, to take out a resource like my book. It doesn't have to be my book. It can be whatever. And gathering workshops of parents so that they can exchange ideas, support each other, and then create, if you like, a community where parents know that their children are mixing with other children who are being given similar ideas. And then you can create a community and that community can spread to others. We're running a little short of time, not too far away from news. Let's talk about your book and the mechanics of it. Uh, you mentioned there lots of great stories in there, stories that you can tell to your own children. It's full of wonderful illustrations too. In the table of contents, if you're thinking of those important type of chapter headings, uh, what would people expect to see when they've got a hold of your book? They will start with various sections designed for girls and their mothers to talk over together. There will be five chapters on that. Then we switch to father and son. Now, I start, and there are three chapters on that. That isn't because I'm being in any way um, pro one or pro the other. It's just that there are more of the mechanics, if you like, of um, puberty that a girl needs to, do, to know where you don't need the boy having all the details of pads and that kind of thing. And then at the end, there are two chapters, one on STDs, that's sexually transmitted diseases, and one on contraception, which is designed for both. I start each chapter, when I say a story, it's more like a conversation. So 
the way the story is written is giving ideas on how a parent can have that conversation with the child. I then have a point, a page, just a very brief page of summarising all the various, if you like, more technical aspects that have come up there so that the parents can run through and know what's there. And then there's a glossary so that all the terms are described in detail with a lot of diagrams. And where can people get a hold of your book, Sexuality Explained, A Guide for Parents and Children? Google it and it's there. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. And uh, you can go to the Cherish Life website too. That's www.cherishlife.org.au. Louise Kirk is our guest. She's the author of Sexuality Explained, a guide for parents and children. She said Google it. Thanks for being with us, Louise. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au. 